Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. Radio Bosses, it's episode 85 of the Presentation Boss Podcast, and welcome to another speech breakdown. We're having a look at a TED Talk today. Before we get cracking on into it, though, a reminder that if you too love the speech breakdowns as much as the people who keep emailing us do, that you can support the show through Patreon. Head to patreon.com forward slash presentation boss, and that helps us to continue making these episodes and bringing them to your ear holes. Yeah, so Val recommended this speech to us. And I love when people recommend because it means that someone else has watched it, thought it was worthy of a breakdown. I don't have to watch it beforehand. Everybody wins. Have you ever watched it beforehand? Everybody wins. Have you ever... The reason we do these speech breakdowns is one of the greatest ways to learn to be a better presenter is to watch other presenters and think critically about what works really well uh, and some things that don't work so well that maybe you don't want to copy. Because I always say life is too short to make all the mistakes yourself. You've got to watch other people make them and learn from them yourself. Deep and insightful. Thank you. We're going to watch the talk and pause when we feel that there's something worthy of note, worthy of comment. Yeah. All right, let's have a look at Dan O'Reilly with How to Change Your Behaviour for the Better at TED New York in June 2019. Hi. Uh, You might have noticed that I have half a beard. Uh, It's not because I lost a bet. Uh, Many years ago, I was uh, badly burned. Uh, Most of my body is covered with scars, including the right side of my face. Just don't have hair. Uh, That's just how it happened. Looks symmetrical, but uh, almost. Anyway, now that we uh, discussed facial hair, uh, let's, uh, let's move to social science. Right, Kate, what are your impressions on that opening? This is the same technique that stand-up comedians use. If there's something really obvious, something that's going to distract the audience, address it immediately and stop people wondering about it. Yeah, exactly that. Just call it straight out and get cracking on the speech, right? Which then allows people to focus on your content. Uh, let's move to social science. And in particular, I want us to think about... Uh, where is the potential for humanity and where we are now? And if you think about it, there's a big gap between where we think we could be and uh, where we are. And it's in all kinds of areas. Uh, So let me ask you, um, how many of you in the last month have eaten more than you think you should? Just kind of general, okay? Uh, How many of you in the last month have exercised less than you think you should? Okay. Uh, for how many of uh, raising your hands twice been the most exercise you got today? Um, uh, how many of you um, have ever texted while driving? Okay, uh, we're getting honest. Let's trust your honesty. Uh, how many people here in the last month have not always washed your hands when you left the bathroom? <laughs> a little less honest. By the way, it's interesting how we're willing to admit texting and driving, but not washing our hands. That's difficult. Right, how many did you score? I'm not telling. (laughs) I can't imagine not washing your hands after leaving the bathroom. (laughs) Did you have something? No, it's nice. I'm enjoying this. It's exactly that. I'm enjoying this talk and I'm thinking about why. These questions are, I think, quite clever. Yes, we're setting up a bit of the direction of the talk around behaviour, but they're also just sort of conversational questions. His whole delivery is quite casual and conversational and easy. These questions are getting that audience engagement. You're getting people listening and involved, but it's kind of just fun and enjoyable. I think his manner is relaxed, which makes it easy to want to participate. Not washing our hands, that's difficult. (laughs) 
we can go on and on. And, and the problem in the, in the topic is that there's lots of things when we know what we could do. We could be very, very different, but we're acting in a very different way. And when we think, how do we bridge that gap? The usual answer is, just tell people. For example, just tell people that texting and driving is dangerous. Did you know? It's dangerous. You should stop doing it. And you tell people something is dangerous, and they will stop. Texting and driving is one example. Another very sad example is that in the U.S., we spend between seven and $800 million a year on what's called financial literacy. And what do we get as a consequence of that? There was recently a study that looked at all the research ever to be conducted on financial literacy, what's called the meta-analysis. And what they found is that when you tell people, you teach them financial literacy, they learn and they remember. But do people execute? Not so much. The improvement is about 3 or 4 percent immediately after the course, and then it goes down. And at the end of the day, the improvement is about 0.1 percent. <laughs> Not zero, but as humanly close to zero as possible. <laughs> so that's the sad news. The sad news is giving information to people is just not a good recipe to change behavior. What is? Well, social science have made lots of strides, and the basic insight is that if we want to change behavior, we have to change the environment. The right way is not to change people, it's to change the environment. And I want to present a very simple-minded model of how to think about it. All right, something Dan's just done, which is a super simple tip for any of us to do, which is the use of repetition on your key point. Yeah. Simply saying the key sentence, that key idea, a second time. In this case, it was, if you want to change people, you have to change the environment. And both of those sentences are very slightly different, but the repetition of the idea is there, which just really does make sure that that one line is not missed by the audience. I want to present a very simple-minded model of how to think about it, and it's to think about behavioral change in the same way that we think about sending a rocket to space. And when we think about sending a rocket to space, we want to do two main things. The first one is to reduce friction. We want to take the rocket and have as little friction as possible, so it's the most aerodynamic possible. And the second thing is we want to load as much fuel as possible, to give it the most amount of motivation, energy, to do its task. And behavior change is the same thing. So let's first talk about friction. Uh, in this particular case study I'll tell you about, uh, there's a pharmacy, an online pharmacy. Uh, imagine you go to your doctor, you have a long-term illness, your doctor prescribes to you a medication, uh, you sign up for this online pharmacy, and you get your medication in the mail every 90 days. Every 90 days, medication, medication, medication. And this online pharmacy wants to switch people from branded medication to generic medication. So they send people letters, and they say, please, please, please switch to generics. You will save money, we will save money, your employer will save money. And what do people do? Nothing. So they try all kinds of things and nothing happens. So for one year, they give people an amazing offer. They send people a letter and they say, if you switch to generics now, it will be free for a whole year. Free for a whole year, amazing. Right? What percentage of people do you think switched? Less than 10%. At this point, they show up to my office and they come to complain. Why did they pick me? I wrote a couple of papers on the Allura Free. In those papers, we show that if you reduce the price of something for, let's say, 10 cents to 1 cent, nothing much happens. You reduce it from 1 cent to zero, now people get excited. <laughs> and they said, look, we read these papers on free, we gave free, not working as we expected, what's going on? 
I just got lost for a few sentences because he said, and then they turn up to my office. And I thought it was the people on the medication. Like the customers. Yeah. And maybe that was really obvious to him and maybe that was really obvious to most people. But I eventually worked out that he was talking about the pharmaceutical company. And in hindsight now, thinking about it, that is the obvious answer. But I think the lesson for me here is being careful of ambiguous terms because he was talking about the pharmaceutical company and they wouldn't switch their medication. Less than 10% of them did it. So they turned up to my office. And the pattern was customer, customer, pharmaceutical company. And I didn't follow that change clearly. It was just a point of note to not use the ambiguous language more than any kind of big thing that I'm picking up here. It is nice though that he is walking us through an example. And we had the metaphor just before with the rocket. My guess is we're going to come back to that metaphor of the rocket as we explain a little bit more uh, this theory. But I do just like that we've got metaphor, then the example, and I'm sure there's more explanation coming. Yeah. Not working as we expected. What's going on? I said, you know, maybe, maybe it's a question of friction. So what do you mean? I said, people are starting with branded. They can do nothing and end with branded. To move to generic, they have to choose generic over branded, but they also have to do something. They have to return a letter. So this is what we call a confounded design. Two things are happening at the same time. It's branded versus generic, but it's doing nothing versus doing something. So I said, why don't we switch it? Why don't we send people a letter and say, we're switching you to generics. You don't need to do anything. If you want to stay with branded, please return the letter. <laughs> right? What do you think happened? <laughs> lawyers. Lawyers happened. <laughs> Uh, it turns out this is illegal. <laughs> that is amazing. That was so obvious to me what the solution was. And it took such an unexpected turn. I loved it because I thought it was going to be obvious and it wasn't. And what do you think happened? I, I was expecting 1% switch back to branded. And I said it was lawyers. Lawyers happened. It was just, just good. It was such a nice setting up of the pattern of yes. a percentage changed, a percentage changed. And then we've got this switch. And there was there was no... He didn't spoil the surprise in any way. Yeah. We found out when he did that lawyers got involved or the potential for legal action got involved. It wasn't a spoiled story. I think a lesser speaker would have gone, well, it's illegal to do this, but what we could have done would be to go to generic and yes. just tell people to send back a letter if they wanted to stay with Branded. The way he told that story was just brilliant. Mm, all about preserving the surprise, hey? Oh, so good. Uh, it turns out this is illegal. <laughs> By the way, for, for, for brainstorming and creativity, doing things that are illegal and immoral, it's fine, as long as it's just in the brainstorming uh, phase. But this was the purity of the idea, right? Because the initial design was the brand that had the no-action benefit. In my illegal, immoral design, a generic had a no-action benefit, but they agreed to give people a T-intersection. Send people a letter and say, if you don't return this letter, we will be forced to stop your medications. But when you return the letter, you could choose branded at this price, generic at this price. Now, people had to take an action. They weren't even foot, right? It wasn't that one had the no-action benefit. What percentage do you think switched? The vast majority switched. So what does it tell us? Do people like generics or do we like branded? We hate returning letters. <laughs> <laughs> the 
This is the story of friction. Small things really matter, and friction is about taking the desired behavior and saying, "Where do we have too much friction?" So it's slowing people down from acting on it. And every time you see that the desired behavior and the easy behavior are not aligned, it means we want to try and realign them. That's the first part. We talked about friction. Now let's talk about motivation. In this particular study, we were trying to get very poor people in a slum called Kibera in Kenya to save a little bit of money for a rainy day. I think there's two ways to do an effective transition between two key points of a presentation, and one is like a nice seamless trajectory, you know, using a story or a fact or something that moves us from point A to point B. Or there's this way, which I think is also not just effective but efficient, which is okay. We're finished with that topic. Moving on to the next topic. Ah,、oh, it's so neat. It just like packs up what we've just talked about, pop that away for now. Let's move on to the next thing. I'm loving this guy. Like, okay, we're halfway through, and this is still I'm going to call it one of the best talks that we've watched in a long time. Well, that's bold. We watched Steve Jobs like a week ago, and I think this guy's better. Wow. <laughs> that's the first part. We talked about friction. Now let's talk about motivation. In this particular study, we were trying to get very poor people in a slum called Kibera in Kenya to save a little bit of money for a rainy day. You know, if you're very, very poor, you have no extra money, you live hand to mouth, and from time to time, bad things happen. And when something bad happens, you have nothing to draw on; you borrow. In Kibera, people can draw at sometimes borrow at sometimes at up to 10% percent interest a week. And then, of course. Really hard to get out of it, right? You live hand to mouth. Something bad happens. You borrow. Things get worse and worse and worse. So we wanted people to keep a little bit of money for a rainy day, and we thought about what is the motivation, what is the fuel that we need to add, and we tried all kinds of things. Some people we texted them once a week and said, "Please try to save a hundred shillings, about a dollar this week." Some people we sent a text message as if it came from their kids. So it says, "Hi, mom. Hi, dad. This is little Joey,、uh, whatever the name of the kid was. Try and save a hundred shillings this week for the future of our family." <laughs> right? I'm I'm Jewish. A little bit of guilt、uh, always always works. Some people got ten percent. Save up to hundred shillings. We'll give you ten percent. Some people got twenty percent. Some people got also ten percent and twenty percent, but they got it with loss aversion. What is loss aversion? Loss aversion is the idea that we hate losing. More than we enjoy gaining. Now think about somebody who is in a 10% condition, and they put 40 shillings in. They put 40 shillings. We give them four more. They say thank you very much. That person gave up six. They could have gotten six more, right? If they gave 100, but they don't see it. So we created what we call pre-match. We put the 10 shillings in the beginning of the week. We said it's waiting for you, and then if somebody puts 40 in, we say, oh, you put 40 in. We're leaving four, and we're taking six back. So in both cases, pre-match or post-match, people get 10%. But in the pre-match, they see the money they did not match leaving their account. So we have tax, tax on kids, 10%, 20%, pre-match, post-match, and we had one, one more condition. It was a coin about this size, with 24 numbers written on it. I'm not too bad with numbers, but this is actually losing me a little bit. I think he could really have benefited with some visuals to back up what he's saying. I'm finding this difficult to follow. I think I can follow the concept, no worries, and I understand the theory, but the actual example has lost me by now. 
I'm tracking with the example. I don't have an issue there. But I have also listened to this talk before, so maybe there's a bit of memory going on here. That feels like a stab. <laughs> I think if... I, I agree with you totally that some visuals would help here. Maybe if there's not facility for visuals, you might get a bit more understanding by simply slowing down. Giving yeah. people that little bit more time to just comprehend shillings going in, shillings coming out, post-match, pre-match. Just a little bit more space. Yes, yeah. It was a coin about this size with 24 numbers written on it. And we asked them to put the coin somewhere in their hut and every week take a knife and scratch the number for that week. Week one, two, three, four. Scratch it like a minus if they didn't save and scratch it up and down if they save. Now think to yourself, which one of those methods do you think work the best? Text, text from the kids, 10%, 20%, beginning of the week, end of the week on the coin. I'll tell you what the average people think, right? We've done these studies of prediction, both in the US and in Kenya. People think that 20% will get a lot of action, 10% less, the rest of it will do nothing. Kids, coin, doesn't matter. Uh, people think loss aversion would have a small effect. What actually happens? Sending a text reminder once a week helps a lot. Good news, this program lasted six months, people forget. Reminding people is great. 10% at the end of the week helped some more. Financial incentives work. 20% at the end of the week, just like 10%. No difference. 10% in the beginning of the week helps some more. Loss aversion works. 20% beginning of the week, just like 10% in the beginning of the week. No difference. And the text message from the kids was just as effective as 20% plus loss aversion, which is amazing. Right? It's amazing how motivating messages from kids were. And one conclusion is we don't use kids enough. <laughs> right? and, and of course, I don't mean in the child labor uh, sense. But if you think about parents and their kids, uh, we are the best that we can for our kids. And we think about the future. And, and I think we should think about how to use that amazing source of motivation to get parents to behave in a better way. But the big surprise of the study was the coin. Uh, the coin basically doubled savings compared to everything else. And now the question is why? What was it about the coin? So I'll tell you how I started thinking about the coin, and then we'll come back to it. I think this is the difficulty when presenting data and findings of a study like this. Um, again, we've got how much each of those tactics increased the savings and which were equal to which. I think this really does need a simple visual to go with it. I mean, he's, um, he's giving some gestures that do kind of help, uh, but I think a visual that just even, you know, looks effectively like a staircase of this tactic improved the saving by a little bit, this one a step more, this one a step more, these two are the same. Just, it just, it just helped to visualize. I'll be honest, I think I've forgotten what the coin method was, but by the same token, I don't feel like it was super important. It was purely the example. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we don't know yet whether the actual results here are what's important or the underlying psychological findings. Yeah. So I'll tell you how I started thinking about the coin and then we'll come back to it. So, you know, when I, when I do research on, let's say, buying coffee, I don't need to go anywhere. I can sit in my office, I bought enough coffee, I know how it works. The details, I'm familiar with them. Uh, when you do research in some of the poorest places in the world, you have to go and visit and see what's going on and get some insight about how the system works. And on that particular day, I'm in a place called Soweto in South Africa, 
and I'm sitting in a place that sells funeral insurance.、Uh, you know, in the U.S.,、uh, people spend crazy amounts of money on weddings. In South Africa, it's funerals.、Uh, people spend up to a year or two years of income on on funerals. And and I sit in this place. And oh, by the way, before before you judge the South Africans as being irrational、uh, with this, I just want to remind you that with、uh, spending a lot of money on funerals compared to weddings, at least you know for sure you only have one. <laughs> okay, so. So I sit. I sit in this place、uh, that sells funeral insurance, and this guy comes in with his son. His son is about 12, and he buys funeral insurance for a week. It will cover 90% of his funeral expense only if he dies in the next seven days. Right? These are very poor people. They buy small amount of insurance and small amount of soap and so on. And he gets that certificate, and in a very ceremonious way, he gives it to his son. And as he gives it to his son, I think to myself, why the ceremony? What is this father doing? Now think about the breadwinner that decides on that particular day to direct some money into insurance or saving. What is the family going to see tonight? They're going to see less, right? At that level of poverty, there'll be less food, less kerosene, less water, something less tonight. And what his father was doing, and what our coin was trying to do, is to say, yes, there's less food on the table. But there's another activity. You see, what happens is that there are many good, important economic activities like saving and insurance that are invisible. And now the question is, how do we make them visible? So let's go back to our rocket、uh, model. We have to first of all look at the system and see where there's little things we can fix with with friction. Where's there can we remove friction? And the next thing we want to do is we want to think broadly about the system and say what other motivations can we bring in, and that's a much more difficult exercise. And we don't always know what would work best. Is it going to be money? Is it going to be loss aversion? Is it going to be something that is visible? We don't know, and we have to try different things. We also have to realize that our intuitions sometimes mislead us. We don't always necessarily know what would work the best. So if we think about this gap between where we could be and where we are. It's a really sad thing to see this gap and to think about it, but the good news is there's lots we can do. Some of the changes are easy, some of the changes are more complex. But if we'll attack each problem directly, and not by just providing more information to people, but trying to change the friction, add motivation, I think we can. Can we close the gap? No, but can we get much better? Absolutely yes. And thank you very much. Oh well, well. Let me start by saying I was correct that we'd come back to the rocket analogy. <laughs> <laughs> What an enjoyable talk! I really liked that. Another thing I really liked there was we came back to the opening, not the bit about half a beard, but the bit where he talked about the the gap between where we think we could be and where we are. He came back to that in his last sentence as well. It bookended that talk、mm. and just made it neat. The whole talk was neat. I found that whole structure just. Beautiful. It was very clear opening, very clear ending, very clear pieces in the middle. There was no wasted words really anywhere in that talk. No. It was super efficient and effective. It was. It was easy to follow, easy to listen to. I like it. I really like it. Except for those like little niggly bits in the middle that I said I was a bit lost. But、mm. as I expected, 
it didn't feel that important. But after we came back to the theory, I could easily kind of look back and understand what that kind of meant. Yeah, I, I still think there's potential there to use a visual as well. And he is standing in front of a screen which just has like a placeholder pattern on it. Which indicates that this is a choice that he's made to not use a visual. Rightly or wrongly, I think it could have benefited as well. Yeah, but as you say, probably didn't lose anything necessarily from the speech by not. Mm. However, what message did you get from this talk, Kate? What was the one message? Information alone won't change behaviour. Did you get something different? You know, to me, the message wasn't super clear. I think the most outstanding part to me was that rocket analogy about having to reduce friction and increase motivation to change behaviour. See, to me, they feel like the hows that sit underneath that message. Mm, you might be right. Yeah, like I said, I didn't, I didn't get punched in the face by a super clear message with this one. I mean, I understood what he's talking about, but the one sentence message... That's really interesting because you picked up on the repetition about, like, you want to make a point. To me, that was the message. That was... That's right. He repeated, if you want to change behaviour, you have to change the environment. You know what? I think that's the one message I got out of it. To change people's behaviour, you have to change the environment. Which makes me think, maybe that sentence needed to be dropped back in the end again as well, with that neat conclusion that tied back to the beginning. Alright, that was a long form way of answering that question. Uh, Was there anything noteworthy that you saw, Kate? No, this was a really comfortable presentation to watch. He's not dressed particularly fancy, he's in a t-shirt. And it almost felt like he was talking to someone at like a barbecue. It was just... Easy, conversational. Easy story, easy and effective storytelling too, using mm. those examples. Couple of humour points. It was just easy to look at, easy to listen to. Yeah. Oh, and of course, we talked about he had a few gestures in there to sort of help us to understand those steps of the motivation and the investing. Which makes me wonder, how much has he gone through and thought about, like, that friction point? Like, it's exactly what he talked about. If it's difficult to listen to, then it's going to be difficult to understand I wonder if that's at all conscious or if I'm just totally projecting here. (laughs) (laughs) But overall, you love the talk, Kate? Yeah, I really do. Okay, that was Dan O'Reilly with How to Change Your Behaviour for the Better. If you also loved this talk or would like to share your thoughts, a reminder to head to our Facebook group. There's a link down below where you can search Facebook for Presentation Bosses. Otherwise, I think that does us for a breakdown. I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it, Kate. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for listening. We will chat to you next week. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. If you've seen a speech you'd like us to break down on the show, flick us the link at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week. So let's listen to Dan Ariely. Ariely? How do we say that? Ariely? Ariely. Really?